0: After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans. And the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes. And to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at ValHeart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system available now on my website at ValHeart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Val Hart, the real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm talking with Dr. Richard Pitcairn. He is the guru of modern veterinary homeopathy in the Western Hemisphere. Since 1992, he has trained almost 500 graduate veterinary doctors in the field of homeopathic medicine, and he is the force behind the founding of the Academy of Veterinary Homeopathy in America since 1995. If you're seeking a deeper understanding of true healing with animals, then you can't go wrong with Dr. Pitcairn's programs. You can find out more about that by going to drpitcairn.com. Dr. Pitcairn founded the Animal Natural Health Center in 1986 as a clinical and teaching center in Eugene, Oregon. It's dedicated to the understanding and use of homeopathic medicine and the treatment of disease, and he also covers the use of excellent nutrition through home-prepared and raw foods. They also offer a variety of educational opportunities for vets as well as us dog and cat parents. A good place to start is the book which I recommend to all my clients, Natural Health for Dogs and Cats. It's long been recognized as the leading book in its field, and he comes to us with an incredibly long list of very impressive credentials, and he's been a major force for holistic change in veterinary medicine since 1985. In 1995, Dr. Pitcairn co-founded the Academy of Veterinary Homeopathy. It's the first professional organization of practicing veterinary homeopaths in the United States. Welcome, Dr. Pitcairn. I'm so glad you can join the show.
1: I didn't know I was a guru. (laughs) (laughs) Do I get to build an ashram now?
0: You do. You do. Yes, and you're in the West, so uh, we'll... uh...
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for the nice introduction.
0: You are so welcome. Now, you started as a traditional veterinarian when you entered private practice way back in 1965, and you were working with small animals, farm livestock, and zoo animals. So how in the world did you go from there to where you are now? Can you tell us a little bit about your story?
1: Sure. uh, You know, before I say that, though, I might just mention um, I don't really use the word traditional for Ah. veterinary medicine. Okay. Um, rather, I say conventional because ah. it gives it too much authority. Tradition—you know—something's traditional; it goes back for generations.
2: Oh, you
0: are uh, right. The
1: medicine we know goes back about three years. Wow. You know, it changes constantly. New ideas, other ideas are rejected. So, really, a better term is just say con- what we consider to be orthodox okay. or conventional. Okay. And there's really no tradition to it,
0: I can see. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you've uh, yeah, that's good, that's good, I get it.
1: <laughs> okay. To answer your question, though, um, I did graduate from um, uh, University of California at Davis, that's in California. Okay. And uh, I went into practice in Southern California, as you said, and so, so I did that for about almost two years. And um, I then left practice to go work up at Washington State University, which is in the state of Washington, of course and um i was on the faculty there in large animal uh, okay. doing um farm calls and what they call large animal reception mm. it's kind of like it's kind of like a veterinary practice where you bring your dog and cat in only they brought horses and cows and pigs and things mm-hmm. so i went up there to the uh, to the university because to answer your question i felt like i was not seeing the results i expected with the treatments i was doing um okay. Now I look back at it, I realize that primarily my obstacle was I was trying to deal with chronic disease conditions ah. that by their nature tend to be tend to continue and get worse with time. Yeah. But I had come out of school thinking that I would be able to resolve those problems to a good extent, and I wasn't seeing that happen. So I assumed, uh, probably like a lot of people would, that the deficit was with me, so I should go back and get more education. Ah. So I went back to the university, as I said, and I after I was there for a year on the faculty, I got a chance to enter graduate school. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. I worked on a Ph.D. in immunology for seven years until I mm. finished that program. Wow. But I realized as I was going through the program that even though it was fascinating and I learned quite a bit about how the body works, I still didn't find a way to be more successful in treating these problems. Wow. So that's why I began to look uh, other places and other directions for, you know, possible answers. I didn't really know what I was looking for, you understand. I was mm-hmm. just kind of reading this and that. And um, I came, while I was uh, towards the end of my graduate studies, I came across an article in the li- science library about the importance of nutrition in children in Africa mm-hmm. in terms of their immunity and how their immune systems worked. They were working with children that had nutritional deficiencies,
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these doctors, Mm -hmm.
1: and um, I read that and I thought this is really amazing because I had never heard before that time in all my training that nutrition had any influence at all on the immune system.
0: Oh my God, wow.
1: So it seems obvious you know, to think about it for a moment, but I had never heard of it and I never thought of it. So Mm -hmm. this really intrigued me and I went back to my major professor and said this is something I wanted to look into and um, shall we say that that was not really the... Current interest in immunology.
0: <laughs> <And Yeah>. so, <laughs> I can hear some backstory on that one. Yeah.
1: So I eventually, <laughs> uh, though I stayed there for a while, I worked on the faculty for a couple of years, did some research and taught, but eventually I decided to go back into practice because I wasn't, I didn't think that I would really be able to get any kind of research support to do studies in that direction. Mm. Yeah. So what I did is I went back into practice. And I tried to, um, I started to read about nutrition on my own uh, as best I could at that time, finding different books and things and trying to understand the whole topic. Um, And so most of what I read was about nutrition in general. That is, you know, how nutrition affects metabolism in both, well, primarily in people. That's where most of the studies have been done. Yeah. Somewhat in animals, but most of what I learned was about how, you know, vitamins and minerals and metabolism works in human beings. And I was trying to apply that to animals in my practice. Um, it's kind of funny in a way because uh, here I had this interest in coming out of school with the background I had, and yet I could not find a veterinary practice in, you know that I could work in as an employee wow. that would let me really emphasize this very much.
2: Oh, my God.
1: And uh, wow. one place that worked out the best for me said, well, you can talk about nutrition, but we won't stock any kind of nutritional supplements here. They'll have to go out and buy them on their own.
2: Mm.
1: Very interesting, isn't it? Mm. The, the mm. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah.
1: So wow. uh, so that's how I started. And I began to um, to try to suggest to people with these animals that had these chronic disease problems. But, and you know, typically what I mean by that uh, for people to understand would be like hip dysplasia and arthritis and allergies and hyperthyroidism in cats and those kind of problems, you know, that are very uh, difficult to see improvement with. Yeah. So uh, I was using nutrition to help the animals that had those kind of problems.
2: Okay.
1: And so I saw results. I saw improvements with them, and I was excited about that. And that encouraged me to do more reading and study. And, you know, I, I'm just sort of summarizing this. You understand this is over a period of quite a few years. Oh,
2: yeah, just a few. Mm-hmm.
1: So so I'm just kind of, so it sounds like it all just happened all at once, but it didn't really. It was a very gradual thing. Yeah. But yeah. but so what I was going to say is that at some point uh, it came up, and came up in my mind as to, well, why is nutrition making such a difference for these animals
2: okay.
1: when they're already on what I was told was a good food, you know, okay. commercial food?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that was a puzzle to me because there really isn't, I, I don't know about now, but at least in, when I went to school, there was really no, no education and nutrition of dogs and cats and other animals like that. There was about horses and cattle, but wow. not about small animals. So mm-hmm. I didn't really know anything about it, and I was just told the commercial foods are the best you could feed them. Mm-hmm. In yes, fact, most true. veterinarians probably say that if you go in and talk to them about it, they'll say just... Don't feed yes. table scraps, feed it commercial food.
2: Yes, yes. Well, that's what we're
1: food. told in school, and that's the whole extent of our training.
2: That's <laughs> it?
0: That's
1: all you're taught? Yeah. Yeah, Beautiful. I was about half an hour in um, discussion <laughs> of it. And that's no. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> that's all there was.
0: That's insane. So,
1: Yeah, okay, it is I'm amazing, sorry. isn't it? It, so, it is. I'm,
0: it's amazing.
1: <sighs> and I hope it's better now, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. know.
0: Yeah. I, you yeah. know, I don't know. You know, I know a lot of veterinary, their practices you know they they depend on the income from selling these foods, you know well, there's they, that,
1: sure. okay. yeah,
0: there's that, so there's the profit uh margin there, and you know know it I know it's hard, but then if they don't if they're not taught to look deeper into the topic and they're they just buy the you know buy the marketing you know or the promotion from the commercial pet food industry, mm-hmm. then they don't look at it any closer, thank God you did.
1: I think to to be to be fair to the veterinarians okay. that we're talking about that mm-hmm. yeah. have this orientation is right. they don't really know any better you know they, they don't have the training not
2: and right.
1: they're told by the what authorities well not all authorities but you know basically most veterinarians would hear from the as you say the pet food companies and from others yeah. that these foods are really good products and well formulated so right. they don't know they think that's really true and they they are you know they're not they're not it's not like they know better and they're trying to make money. It's not like that. It's not, like that, not, the, yeah. not that base. Yeah, but yeah. they, know that at the same time, they usually don't have a whole lot of interest in nutrition, many exactly. veterinarians. Yeah. So you know, it kind of leads to just basically going along with the, the flow, so to speak.
0: Well, and you know, it makes sense to me because if they actually buy that and they think they're feeding a good product, then they wouldn't have the interest in looking at it more closely. Right, yeah. or really examining it or researching it for themselves. They just and they have other things to look at. Right. They have other other concerns and other
1: areas yes. that they're
0: trying to focus on. So that makes sense. That makes sense.
1: Yes, yeah, so and it's in medicine okay. is very complex, as you say, there's an awful lot to yeah. to know and, and, and I found you know, just as a digression, um the information flow coming to veterinarians and to doctors is just uh incredible. Most people don't realize how much is coming at them. Yeah. They're, they're expected, veterinarians are expected to keep up with the new findings, so they're constantly getting journals and taking to continue education.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But then what I see happens is that the, um, I would say, psychological pressure to keep up with the literature
2: mm-hmm.
1: prevents them from having time to look at anything new,
2: yes.
1: and the information they're learning, I don't feel, is particularly helpful to them in yeah. terms of curing these chronic problems, you see, which is what we're talking about. So it's interesting, you know, it keeps them very busy and it keeps them from looking at anything outside that field, so to speak. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And and for me, what was different was that I, uh, because of the way I went from practice into, into graduate school and then back. I didn't really feel that I needed to keep up with the literature that much. I felt like I'd already done it, so to speak.
2: Mm-hmm, 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 I'd
1: already mm-hmm. investigated it pretty thoroughly. Yeah. And so I was looking for something outside the literature, if, you, mm-hmm. if it makes sense to you.
2: Mhm. Yes.
1: Um. And so I didn't feel that pressure. I ah. felt freer to uh, to look elsewhere. So maybe that was a difference.
0: Yes, that makes a lot of sense.
1: So I began ah. to uh, to go back to this question of you know well, what what. What made such a difference in these animals that they seemed to be improving more than I had seen before? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Then I had to ask, well, what is it about the commercial foods? Why don't they provide that? And so I began then to try to understand more about, see, that I didn't have any idea more than anybody else see, about, you know, what what's really in commercial pet foods and how they're made and so on. Yeah. And so I'm sure your listeners have heard a lot of this stuff about, you know, the quality isn't so good and they use byproducts and, and right. uh, also foods that are not suitable for human consumption, of course, right. that's why right. they're put into pet food, that's why they're so cheap. Yeah. so that uh, that includes uh, I'm, I'm, am i repeating things people have already heard I no go the, into a little you bit know of... we
0: i think we all need to hear it as often as we can uh, you know <laughs> it's just it's amazing to me how many people haven't got the message yet they haven't actually looked at it. like you said they're busy they've got whatever they bought the research you know, i mean they bought the promotion you know, the, the, mm-hmm. they and they bought the ad um mm. and it's it's convenient and and they didn't look they they didn't do their due diligence so you're welcome to talk about it all you want
1: well i'll just say i'll just say then somewhat briefly that um th- what i found is that of course i'm generalizing cuz not all foods are are the same some are better quality than others to some True. degree but True. but first of all i would say that uh, at least when i was learning about it um i found that the basically the pet food industry uses the remnants of what can't be used for human beings mm-hmm. so there is um like like for example if you look at a you might look at a can of food and it might say that the uh, meat is as um is it FDA inspected i guess FDA inspected
2: mm-hmm.
1: no not FDA what is it anyway you know what i mean the meat inspectors
2: yeah yeah
1: and um and so they, and people might be reassured by that. Oh, this has been inspected. But what they don't realize is the inspector, uh, that's looking at an animal carcass coming through the line, if it sees some area of disease like the liver or maybe a tumor or something, mm-hmm. that part's cut off and put into pet food. Oh, wow. That's what the inspection means. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: so it's interesting, you know, they there the there's a lot of foods that go like for instance foods that um in the market that go past their expiration date are sent to pet food factories. Mm-hmm. Um uh, roadkill is. Mm-hmm. Uh, animals that have had antibiotics given to them, like for instance um yeah. a lot of people may not know this, but there are rules about for example, if a cow that's being used for produce milk uh, gets an infection or something, it has to have antibiotics. Then there are rules about you can't use that milk because uh, then it carries the antibiotics into the milk, of course, and mm-hmm. that's you know yeah. affect people and so on. Yeah. But
2: that's
1: you sense. can use it in pet food, and and also the cow. Then if it's sent to slaughter because it didn't get well, can't be used for human food, but it can be used for pet food.
2: Right. So,
1: so the, all so the, the rules, when you start looking at them, show that the, for, the, for to a great extent the pet food industry uses that stuff that we think isn't good for us,
2: Yeah.
1: for humans to eat. Yeah. And so that really opened my eyes when I realized that, oh, my gosh, you know, the quality isn't that good, number one. Some of the food is stale, some of it's rancid, some of it's uh, toxic mm-hmm. for various reasons. And yeah. so I began to realize that the commercial foods Really weren't providing the very highest quality. Okay. So um, that re- result The uh, result of that, I should say, is that I began to. My wife and I put together some recipes. Like, well, what's the alternative? And basically, the only alternative I could think of was, well, you fix the food yourself instead of buying it.
2: Yeah.
1: But that was back quite a long time ago. You know, back in the in the eighties. And um, now there's a lot more foods available to people that are more better quality, you know. Mm-hmm. But at that time there weren't those foods. There, yeah. there weren't those choices, or very few choices. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we put together recipes, and and then we started uh, at that at that time in the 80s, my wife and I were writing a monthly column for Prevention magazine, if you know that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, magazine. Prevention Magazine. yeah, so well known. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was quite different in those days. It was much more oh. um, alternative uh, compared to now. But anyway, we were writing a column called Your Healthy Pet, and we would write about these things about using nutrition and using natural products and herbs and things. So, so that's when uh, all of this stuff developed that we started using. And then you know uh, they asked us to do a book.
2: Mm. Oh. And okay. so
1: th- yeah, Rodale did. You know the publisher. Mm-hmm. And so we thought that they actually thought that we ought to just put together some of our articles. And I thought about it, and, and Susan and I discussed it as to what do we want to do this project at all and decided that if we're going to r- write something like that, we should just do an entire new book rather than just uh, recycling the articles. And that's mm-hmm. how our first mm-hmm. edition came about in 82. And that incorporated a lot of these recipes that we'd come up with that i have been using in practice.
2: hmm Mm-hmm.
1: And people were seeing wonderful results with the recipes. It was really quite heartwarming because, you know, they. I got busy enough in my practice that I couldn't always take people. We had a waiting list. Yeah. And um, I would give them the recipes to use for a while until we could see them. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that unusual. They would say when we would contact them in a few months, they'd say, well, they're fine now. Just using the recipes you gave me wow. <laughs> was enough for them to get healthy. Yeah,
0: we get, finally so gave was, them what they needed, and now they're healthy.
1: Yeah, so it was it was a it was quite impressive to us at, wow. at that time to see that. Wow. So that's kind of how it all began. Um, and then, of course, uh, that being said, is kind of a background about understanding the importance of nutrition. Then it doesn't take too long to realize that nutrition isn't a complete answer because there are animals that don't get well with improved nutrition, or there are animals that are too seriously ill for them to In other words, they're like they have parvovirus or something, mm-hmm, so they've got mm-hmm. or infection. And there's also animals that just won't eat. Yeah. Well, some, that's a problem, common problem in cats. Yeah. So sometimes nutrition can't really solve the problem, so I was continuing to look for other answers, and I um, was studying... Um, Many other therapies that I was coming across in reading, you know, like uh, polarity therapy and Mm -hmm. color therapy and Chinese medicine, acupuncture and herbal medicine and so on. Mm -hmm. And I, um, at some point, finally came across a little book on homeopathy didn't even know how to pronounce the word, <laughs> and I uh, didn't know anything about it really. But it was intriguing to me, some of the ideas, and so that's got me started. And I began to read a little bit and ordered a few homeopathic remedies and saw them working, and so that intrigued me more. And so eventually Ooh, okay. I found myself completely committed to that as my method. Wow. It really surprisingly, the, the philosophy of homeopathy surprisingly fits in very well with what I learned in graduate school in immunology. Really, and so I thought this is just wonderful, you know it's like I can actually carry this forward and and use this method, and it makes sense to me, so that's how I got started on that, and finally, you know that became my major focus, even more than nutrition.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so for the last thirty two years, that's all I've done is homeopathic medicine
0: Wow,
1: no no other therapies, other nutrition interesting, so. Yeah.
0: So uh, I know people are—they get confused about the different forms of medicine. So you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, other, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It is confusing, I think, to people. I hear this uh, because I'm on um, some forums, you know, public forums where I try to help people with answers as, as much as I have time. Mm-hmm. I get this question frequently about confu- reflecting confusion about medicine and. And I also would say that since, you know, realize, uh, I don't know if I said, but I graduated in 1965. Mm. That was okay. right before television was invented, you know. <laughs> <That> was. <laughs> uh-huh. So we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, 40-some years ago. So medicine, mm. I've seen medicine in general, veterinary medicine, I should say, well, probably medicine in general, human medicine as well, has really changed from those times. And, and I will give you an example of that. Um, when I went through veterinary school, we had a um, a course, and one of our semester courses was called ethics. Okay. That is in the sense of, I don't know if they teach ethics anymore. it That would be an really? interesting question.
2: Wow. But
1: ethics was, you know, um, really what's proper, you know, what's the right mm-hmm. thing to do versus the not the right thing to do and so on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the things that impressed me at that time was uh, because – Of our understanding of how the body works and how diseases operate and so on is that they said if there ever is any kind of an infection in an animal you must never, never, never use any kind of a steroid Mm. like prednisone or prednisolone, you know what I mean by those Mm -hmm. steroids? Mm -hmm. They said because what those steroids do is they suppress the immune system and prevent the animal from recovering Mm. and even if it's a bacterial infection the, the antibiotic by itself is not sufficient to recover. You have to have a, a functional immune system. Mm. It's like those, uh, you know, those bubble boys or bubble girls you, you hear every now and then, where they have to yeah. live inside of an enclosed plastic sphere.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, that's because even with antibiotics, they can't stay healthy because their immune systems aren't working. Yeah. So mm. that I carried that with me. They they said these are the words they they told us. They said if you use a steroid. When an animal has any kind of infection, it is considered malpractice. Wow. That was the word they used. Well, using steroids is common now.
0: Yeah. Most veterinarians
1: it, use it for almost anything, any oh kind God. of infection.
0: Oh, my God.
1: See how much has changed in those oh. in that period of time. Well,
0: what what's changed is not the basic truth, which you just expressed so eloquently. What changed is the what the vets are actually doing. So they don't consider it malpractice anymore. They haven't actually been taught that, and yet our animals are suffering. The consequence with all these exponentially increased autoimmune diseases and disorders, and chronic disease, like you, like you got you started.
1: I think it's even gone so far as to say it's considered now the standard of practice. In other wow. words, if I if I were if I was a conventional veterinarian and I was treating an animal and I didn't use a steroid. It's possible I could be reported to the board and disciplined for not doing standard of practice, including steroid use. But
0: that's outrageous.
1: It is, isn't it? Yes. So let's talk about that for a moment to better for people to better understand the significance of this. Okay. Um and I might ask you, just to see as a foundation where to go from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what what do you understand to be the significance of symptoms if your animal's sick? What do symptoms. I... They're sick, and they show symptoms. You know what yes. I mean by symptoms?
2: Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. of course.
1: So what, how do you understand the symptoms? What are they? What's the meaning of them?
0: Uh, to me, they're the tip of the iceberg of something going on deep inside the body,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a
0: reaction of some kind, um, a uh, an overwhelm or an imbalance of some kind, or like we were talking earlier, a nutritional deficiency, so they don't have what they needed to... Um, to repel the invader like the pathogen, of virus, bacteria, fungus, parasite, whatever it is, or mm-hmm. they, they're toxic, they've become toxic, and their systems are degenerating or breaking down. That's what I would consider it to be.
1: Okay. Well, let me give you – that's good. And let me give you – add to that, make a, a, okay. a little different angle on it. Good. How about if we consider um, – if, if we say, for instance, that we're all familiar maybe with getting s- some kind of a little injury, like a cut or something mm-hmm. on your arm, say.
2: Okay.
1: I just did this the other day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, where I live here in Arizona, we've got cactus, and uh, I backed yeah. into one yesterday. Oh, gonna... shit. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: oh, God. Okay. So let's
1: say you have a little cut in your arm. Uh, we mm-hmm. know that then what happens before it heals is it it goes through a period of inflammation. It gets red and a little bit swollen and painful, and mm-hmm. then it scabs over if it doesn't you know, get infected and so on. It has to go through a healing process. Yes. So we can say the symptoms that are present as a result of that cut are the actual mechanism of healing the body's going through.
2: Mm. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes.
1: That's the way it heals it. So in other words, there's no way to go from cut to healed without going through those steps. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's necessary. That's the way the body repairs the tissue that's been damaged. It brings in new blood cells and uh, white blood cells and other factors and nutrients and so on to to create new tissue there. Okay. And there's also, there are also, uh, uh, white blood cells that come in that prevent infection from starting and so on.
2: Okay. Well, the same
1: thing applies with any kind of illness. We, we, we use the word disease, but you know, um it's interesting that the word disease in, uh, is related to, let's say I'm sitting at my ease talking to you. I'm sitting in a comfortable recliner chair at my ease, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Disease means that you're not comfortable. Okay. But disease in medicine has come to mean something external to to us, something that has to be repelled or gotten rid of okay. instead of being part of our mechanism. So if we say instead of disease, we say that the body, as you were mentioning earlier, is out of balance. And it, as a result of being out of balance, for some reason, it's trying to re- to come back to normal and repair itself as necessary.
2: Yes.
1: And when it does that, it produces symptoms of illness. Okay. So like, for example, the animal that gets sick, say, with parvovirus and it's vomiting or diarrhea, mm-hmm. those symptoms that it it's producing are attempts by its body to get rid of the virus and recover. Yes. It might develop a fever, mm-hmm. which gives, its, uh, th- the fever gives the body an advantage over the microorganism because the fever makes everything move faster and and then allows the body to respond more quickly than it would have otherwise.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So all of the symptoms that are present are actually uh, expressions of the body's healing mechanism.
2: Okay. Does
1: that make sense?
0: Yes. That's that, well said.
1: And yet, our system of medicine is based on suppressing those symptoms.
0: Yes, everything we do is to make them go away.
1: Make them go away disappear. somehow. Disappear,
0: mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. so we can't see them or don't notice them anymore.
1: So that's, yeah. in a you know, that's in a nutshell um, wow. describing the conventional system of medicine, the one that's called allopathic, Yeah, you know, there's more to it than that. But basically the philosophy, the idea behind it is that the symptoms are a disease to be gotten rid of and if you can't get rid of it, then you at least prevent them from expressing themselves. So there are a lot of drugs that are used, anti-inflammatory drugs, steroids, and other things to keep the body from expressing those symptoms. Yeah. But the symptoms are the way the body heals itself. Wow. So what you're doing is preventing the healing process. And in the process uh, or in the, in the path of doing that, then the immune system gets gradually weaker because it's constantly being suppressed. It's like anything, you know, like, for instance, if um, the comparison be, be, between, say, somebody going for daily walks and exercising on a regular basis versus a couch potato that never moves from the couch. Yeah. You know, after a while, your muscles get soft and weak. Yeah. In the same way, if the immune system is constantly suppressed. Then it becomes weak also and therefore it can't do its job of preventing infection or preventing parasites or preventing cancer and so on. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, total sense. It's, it's a big wake-up call. So the symptoms are actually the way the body heals itself, and when we suppress them, it weakens the body and um, interrupts the body's ability to heal itself. It may
2: yes.
0: it may hide the symptoms by pushing them deeper into the body, um, but that only lasts for a little bit of time before we see other things crop up because the fundamental body, the fundamental being, is now seriously compromised. Did I hear that correctly?
1: Yes, that's that's right. And okay. um, I would say as well, to follow up on that, okay. that the, the usual, we're talking about, so we're trying to talk about different forms of medicine. We have to be clear, first of all, I think, Okay. What I'm what I'm addressing is understand the one that we, our culture is most um, aligned with, which is the allopathic system.
2: Yes.
1: And the allopathic system is based on the idea of using treatments that counter the symptoms expression. That's why it's called allopathic. It's 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 uh, using medicines that somehow block that. So, for an example, would be if your cat was hyperthyroid. Mm-hmm. Most likely, the veterinarian would give you a drug that stops the thyroid from working. It right. blocks it. Right. Uh, if your animal has uh, skin allergies, put it on prednisone or some other similar drug that prevents the immune system from expressing the symptoms on the skin. So that's the people have to understand. I mean, to you know, to if they want, if they're interested in this topic that we're mm-hmm. discussing, yeah. they have to understand that that approach is not one that cures disease or restores health. But what it does is it suppresses symptoms and masks masks the disease expression, as you said a moment ago.
2: Yeah.
1: It hides it. But the disease is still there. And it continues. So let me let me go a little bit further with that if it's okay. if I'm not getting too complicated here. That's
0: perfect. I love it.
1: it when the disease is masked that way. And it's not gone. It just can't, it can't show itself anymore. There are some things we know now from, our, 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 when I say we, I mean those of us that work in homeopathy. Okay.
2: Uh,
1: because it's a different approach, a different philosophy. What we understand happens is that the disease continues, number one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And secondly, that it, uh, pro- it uh, develops or progresses in a chronological sense faster than it would have otherwise. Wow. In other words, if left alone, there would be discomfort. But when it's suppressed, it develops faster. Wow. A third thing is that it tends to move then to a different part of the body. Okay. So the focus might be on the skin. Let's say that the dog that has allergies is treated with um, steroids, Mm -hmm. and that seems to control it for a year or two. Mm-hmm. but then comes in with some other problem with the pancreas or heart or something it's the same disease but now it's manifesting in a different place
2: wow that's
0: scary
1: so the the um interesting thing about this i think is that um culturally speaking is that we have uh, we don't have time to go into the history of this but it's interesting yeah. We have committed ourselves as a as a culture to this system of medicine, even though it's not the only one that's out there.
2: Right.
1: And other countries in the world, they haven't committed them. Many of them haven't committed themselves so strongly. They offer other alternatives
2: mm-hmm. supported
1: by insurance and by health system and so on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of those is homeopathic medicine, which is the one I studied. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the difference, uh, now that we've maybe hopefully made that somewhat clear of what the allopathic system is, um, the homeopathic system understands symptoms differently. As I said, they are the mechanism in which the body's trying to heal itself. So what we do is we, um, based on the, because we don't have time to go in the history of how all this developed, but yeah. the idea in homeopathy, the discovery was that if you use um, a, a substance, it could be a drug or an herb or some other material,
2: Mm -hmm, If mm -hmm. you
1: can use something that in itself will produce very similar symptoms, in other words, a very similar disturbance in the body as the natural disease is presenting itself, that that actually stimulates the immune system to act more strongly. And so what we do is we match what's called a similar remedy. We use very small quantities of substances that match the symptoms of the patient and we use it in such a way that it stimulates the symptoms a patient's showing to actually become stronger, more intense, and resolve the problem.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Interesting, huh? How could opposite yes. it is?
0: Yes. It's counterintuitive.
1: Counterintuitive in the sense, in a way, but if you think about it for a moment, okay. um, you know if you if you stimulate uh, let me start over <laughs> <laughs> okay. think, think of it think of it like this we don't well we can't go into this because it you know it'd be a, a digre- digression but let's say okay. the one question would be well why doesn't the when there's chronic disease why doesn't the the animal or the person why don't they respond more adequately to the problem See that's mm-hmm. an interesting question itself, so we can't go there because yeah. yeah. it would be off in another direction but <laughs> let's assume that that's the case that it okay. that there's a potential there. There's a potential for it to work better than it is. Does that make sense yes. to you? Yes, it does. And that's what we're stimulating with the homeopathic remedies. We're oh. we're activating that potential for the system to work better. So here's a little analogy I give sometimes.
2: Okay.
1: Let's say uh we we'll, we'll, we'll just make this up because I don't know your situation personally, but let's assume that you you have a husband and the husband's duty that you've agreed upon more or less is that he takes a trash shot every week. Right? and okay. a certain day, he's supposed to take the trash out to be picked uh-huh. up. Yep. So it's time. It's that evening for the trash to go out, and he hasn't taken it out. hmm mm-hmm. He's sitting there watching the television, watching some sports <laughs> thing, drinking beer. So so you come in and you say, uh, honey, are you supposed to take the trash out? He says, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he w- continues watching the tube, right? Yeah. So you come back another time. You say, you know, you got to take the trash out before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. 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 And he continues watching it. <laughs> so finally, you come in, and you happen to have a magazine in your hands. You roll it up, and you hit him over the top of the head with it and say, mm-hmm. take the trash out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> he said, okay, okay, I'll oh, do it. He gets right. up and takes the trash out.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: So that's a little bit of maybe an analogy. You know, it's like the system <laughs> isn't working as well as it should. Mm-hmm. We give the homeopathic remedy, which creates a similar kind of disturbance, and okay. wakes it up and says, hey, take the trash out. Okay. <laughs> Got
0: it. Okay. So that is brilliant. I get it. So, the so home- but,
1: Okay, go ahead. So here's the thing to, that follows from that. hmm Uh, where there's a lot of confusion. We talked about, we started with this discussion with the thing about the the question about confusion. And part of the confusion is that some people, some practitioners of veterinary medicine are become interested because of the lack of complete results with the conventional system they were trained in, the allopathic. They start picking up other systems of treatment and they then uh, develop what we call. Uh, there's a couple of words that can be used. Um, uh, eclectic practice is uh, is common one, and others integrative medicine, mm-hmm. yes, or or complementary, yes. And wh- what that means is they're combining them all together. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. But
1: you see, if you combine the allopathic system with homeopathy, when they're working opposite directions, you don't benefit the patient at all. If you uh-huh. were using a drug to suppress the immune system or using a remedy to stimulate it, ah. what's gonna happen?
0: Yeah, counter each other out or
1: create yeah. problems. So most so most practitioners are still thinking the same way that they thought when they did allopathic medicine. Okay. But now they're trying to add in other systems that okay. are actually operating working in a completely different way. Okay. So most of these practices really are just trying to put together some things that don't fit together. Does that okay. make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does.
1: And oftentimes in what where the confusion in the marketplace arises is that you go to one practitioner that combines these three things together and then you go to another one that combines these four things together and so on. And there's no consistency anywhere.
0: Right.
1: Have you run into that yourself?
0: Yes I have. Yes I have. Sorry to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think what it is is that there is um it's it's always a challenge to us, you know, to our minds, but we learn something
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then we find it very difficult to let it go once we've learned it. Yeah. And so there's a tendency more to just add to what we've already learned to sort of make it work. Right. But a lot of the a lot of the um confusion and, and mishmash that's out there right now is because people are um, not necessarily changing their perspective on health.
2: Okay. You know,
1: and they're still trying to do the suppression of symptoms in some way. Yeah. But now they're using other methods to do it with. Same thing happens in homeopathy. You'll find practitioners that are using combination homeopathic remedy formulas or injecting them in the body and all sorts of things that are just seem really counter to what the principles are in homeopathic medicine.
2: Okay.
1: And uh, it's confusing to the to the consumer because you know, there. they don't know any, know any better. They haven't studied it.
2: Right. Right
0: so what what can we do what should we do <clears throat>
1: well unfortunately it comes down to uh the the consumer the 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 pet owner guardian whatever has to take a certain amount of responsibility mm-hmm. to understand what we're talking about here i mean if they want if they want to really if they're if they're interested in this you know many people aren't really interested they they're satisfied if the symptoms just go away for a while exactly right mm-hmm. they, they don't, they're that's fine Let's yeah. not make it too complicated.
0: Yeah. They only get upset when their animal's dying <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: or that they're, they're costing them, you know, a lot because now they're mm-hmm. very ill and, yes. you know, it's gone on
2: too long. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. So so many people aren't going to be interested in this, but there are some that's, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's, you know, are going to question this more deeply and say, I don't really think this system of, is, is, is serving me, this system of medicine that, I, that my veterinarian has been giving me. Mm-hmm. I want to find something else. Well, what we're talking about is necessary to understand what something else is. Yeah. You really need to turn away from the suppressive therapies if your animal is going to have its health restored.
2: Right. And we okay. do that
1: through nutrition, and we do that through homeopathy, and through some other systems that are out there that are not trying to suppress symptoms in the animal.
2: Mm-hmm. That's okay. the
1: major, I'd say, the major divide that one has to understand, okay. you know, the major difference there. And, uh, in other words, you can take the medicines that are available to you. On you one side, you can say they're basically suppressive therapies, and the other side, they're some, they're, they work in some other way, in some more supportive way of the mm-hmm. body. Does okay. that make sense?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yes, and um, so I want to talk about your book for just a moment. Mm-hmm. So your book, Dr. Pitcairn's Complete Guide to Natural Health for Dogs and Cats. Um, I know you wrote the first edition in 1982, and you're now on your third edition that came out in 2005.
2: Yes.
0: Um, one of the things I love about your book uh, that I have just found so much value in is the, um, the resources section where you talk about common ailments. I think it's the last half of the book usually, mm-hmm. the quick mm-hmm. reference section and
1: quick you,
0: reference, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, you talk about, um, you know, homeopathy and how to use holistic and alternative therapies and all the other incredibly important things. You got all the re- recipes in here, great tips, et cetera. But the quick reference is so awesome. Thank you so much for for creating this. You talk about everything from abscesses all the way to vaccinations, which is a whole other topic in itself, to mm. cancer, to eye problems, to hips, to kidneys, to livers, to you name it. You go through everything in here. And, in fact, that's actually how I found about out about you. Um, the mm. first book I found was in the late 80s, I believe it was. And I had a new kitten that I, t- I was a stray, probably about six weeks old. I brought her home and... Um, she was very, very ill. She had a, um, um, explosive diarrhea. I don't know that we ever got it all, you know, cleaned up. <laughs> it was awful. Um, and then she also got a really bad case of ear mites.
2: <clears throat>
0: and, uh, someone recommended your book, or I came across it. I don't even know how I found it, but I did. And I followed your directions on dealing with ear mites and, you know, and rebalancing her. Um, and by that time, my older cat also had these issues. she had chronic ear infections, and we had been to the vet. we had done the allopathic approach the eardrops all that stuff was not working. it was ongoing for months, miserable mm. and uh oh. when I tried your approach literally within a week, it was over it was It was just done uh, they were mm. fine so that really that was when I first found out about you so thank you so much. For putting this in here, <clears throat> this is a I'm masterful. It yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. It
1: was fabulous. <laughs> I'm going to leave that part in. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Be sure to leave that part. Um, but yeah, so I want to thank you for that and draw and draw people's attention to that aspect of your book, as it really is quite wonderful.
1: <clears throat> excellent. To hear
0: it. Excellent. Yeah, excellent to have on the shelf and to refer to. So thanks. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, well, okay, so just wanted to mention that while we're talking about it. Um is there anything else you want us to know about the book? Uh, I know uh, people can get their copy at your website or on Amazon.com or pretty much anywhere where they have books. Um and for people who are listening, I just want to remind you about your website. It's drpitcairn.com, D-R-P-I-T-C-A-I-R-N dot com. <clears throat> okay, so let's continue. <sighs> so, <laughs> so let's talk about nutrition. Okay. How about nutrition? Uh, we touched on it briefly a little bit ago, <clears throat> but there's so much co- um, com- uh, confusion about proper nutrition. There's a lot of emphasis on avoiding grains right now and feeding primarily meat and bones. What's your mm-hmm. viewpoint on that?
1: Well, I think that's a it's based on a misunderstanding. Um, I, I hear the strangest things. You were talking about the book, mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, there, I, the other day I was perusing. Uh, it's, it's kind of a strange thing to do, I know, but I was on Amazon looking <laughs> at the reader comments. You know. Oh, that's good. <laughs>
2: that's good. <laughs>
1: and uh, you know, it is interesting to see because, like you just gave a little story there, and and other people do too about how the advice has helped them. But every now and then, in the reader's comments, there'll be somebody who say, "Oh, this book is terrible. It advises uh, using grains in the recipes, and which are toxic to animals. Mm-hmm. I would never use any of this." and I'm thinking, what are, where are they coming from? It's the oddest thing that this whole idea has arisen because, first of all, there's no, absolutely no evidence whatsoever in nutritional research that grains are toxic to dogs or cats. You know, okay. it's like, uh,
2: okay. you, know,
1: where it, you know, you just well. Um, <laughs> the the actual research has been done. And, okay. in, in uh, for example, I'll, i I'll, I'll get more to this, uh, topic in a moment, but there's actual okay. research that's been done with grains, starches and so on, fed to dogs and cats. I mean, could, I mean this, you know, not, I don't mean like woo woo research, I mean research done by mm-hmm. scientific advisory groups, you know, uh, where they've studied dogs and cats eating, uh, high grain diets or, or starch, mm-hmm. large amounts of starch, mm-hmm. or even kittens and puppies growing with it. Mm-hmm. have shown that they uh, they digest it with no problem whatsoever, cl- mm. close to 100% of it. Wow. And so, you know, the facts run quite counter to what people say about it, that it's not digestible, mm-hmm. for example, and Interesting. So, on. so So where does yeah. this idea come from? And, well, and also, you know, as you talked about, uh, as we have been talking about, using the recipes we came up with that are in mm-hmm. our book, mm-hmm. also they use grains as part of the recipe. And so for... Whatever long it's been now, I hate to think how long that's been, (laughs) since the first edition came out in 82, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: what, is it almost 30 years?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Almost. Isn't that amazing? Almost.
1: So those recipes have been used all that time with wonderful results. So, you know, it obviously doesn't fit the facts. Nonetheless, there is this idea that's very strong. So what's going on? I think that the misunderstanding is, That people began to realize that the commercial foods that contained, they thought contained grains, were not so healthy for the animals. Back to what we talked about earlier?
2: Yeah.
1: About byproducts? Yeah. The thing that that they didn't understand was that the commercial foods were not using grains. They were using byproducts of grains. Oh. They were using parts of it that were not used. Oh, really? Sure, they don't use the whole grain. If you look in the label, you okay. know, it'll talk about uh different sources, but they're not using the whole... F- well, some foods do now, but, I mean, that was the problem. They were only using byproducts and not even particularly good quality ones. They could be, you know, have mm-hmm. spoilage mm-hmm. and rancid right. and
2: so on. Right, right. Oh so they
1: misunderstood okay. that, that the animals uh, were getting poor quality byproducts and translated that to grains as a type of food. In other uh, words, carbohydrates. right. So and there's just no evidence whatsoever that carbohydrates are, are not a good food for animals. Okay. So that's one thing.
2: Okay.
1: The other so what what has happened then as a result of the, the um idea that circulated around and has become very common, sort of fattish, that you know, grains should not be fed to dogs and cats.
2: Okay.
1: What they're doing now is feeding large amounts of meat and bones. Right. There is that whole diet Program of feeding just mostly raw meat and bones. Right. So there's a couple of problems with that. The people are not realizing.
2: Okay.
1: First of all, it's um it's like the um the lifestyle is quite different. You know, it's like the couch potato versus the athlete. You know, if the person okay. is very active, then they can use a food like that that's high in protein and uh, because protein. I'm getting ahead of myself. There's there's basically three food groups. There's proteins, fat, and carbohydrates.
2: Okay. Three groups. Right. Proteins
1: are necessary, but proteins are used primarily for making new tissue, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: new um, um, enzymes, and those kind of things. They're they're necessary for the structure of the body, but they are not a good energy source. Okay. In fact, they're a very inefficient energy source, and they tend to have toxic residue
2: mm, okay.
1: uh, when they're metabolized. In other words, if they have to be used for energy, if proteins have to be used for energy, they have to be converted to sugar in the blood. And in the process of doing that, it produces urea, which is toxic. Okay. Now, in nature, animals like wolves, say, which would be closest to a dog or dog-like animals, mm-hmm. they eat large amounts of meat, but they also don't eat very frequently, and they do a tremendous amount of exercise.
2: True.
1: You know, they might spend, they might travel 100 miles between feedings.
2: Right. They
1: spend, you know, a day or two hunting before they eat. As compared to the dog that gets his food, you know, goes from the couch to the
2: kitchen floor, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: So many of the animals that are kept as pets, are not having a balance in their lifestyle between the kind of high-protein diets they're getting mm-hmm. and the lack of exercise and, therefore, not having adequate stimulation of the dig- digestive tracts.
2: Right. Okay. In other words, when they're the animals
1: in wild are very active in movement, and it moves everything along, their digestion is faster, their peristalsis in the intestines mm-hmm. is quicker.
2: Right. It doesn't right. stay in the
1: system as long. The sluggish animal in a house is everything is moving slower. There's more absorption of toxins. I don't know right. is that making sense?
2: Right. Yes, it does,
1: so that's one thing the other thing is is the problem of pollution environmental pollution okay the 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 food or the the um, the the thing that has the most accumulated chemicals in it is meat okay. top of the food chain mm.
2: okay.
1: they have done studies for example. In, in there, I don't know very many if any studies in animals like this so i have to talk about people
2: okay
1: they've done studies in people uh where they've looked at families children adults and grandparents for example and analyzed their tissues okay and they say today that people have between 1 and 200 chemicals that are taken resident in their body we're talking about chemicals that are not foods like pcbs ddt dioxin mm. you know antibiotics Mm -hmm. Antidepressants, you know, there's an unbelievable amount, and nobody knows what they do. No one has ever really studied what the effect is on health of this 100 plus chemicals in the tissues. Wow. There are no studies like that. They'll look at, they'll look at a few of them, but it's too complicated, you know, to look at 100. Yes. They'll look at one at a time, say, or or I did see a study more recently where they looked at the top six, the ones who were on the highest level. Yeah. and they found that people that had the highest levels of the top six had a 32 times greater incidence of diabetes, for example. Mm-hmm. So there are some studies like that, mm-hmm. but nobody really knows. There's no research or literature out there to say, what do these chemicals do to the body, yeah. most of which are toxic. Some of them are thought are to cause cancer, for example. Right.
2: right.
0: Well, and look at the exponential increase in cancer and diabetes. Exactly. Elderly. So
1: here here you have people that are going out and buying um primarily meat and bones to feed to their dogs and cats thinking they're making them healthy, mm-hmm. filling up their bodies with pollutants.
2: Yeah.
1: At the top of the food chain. Whew. Bones in, in US animals are high in heavy metals, lead, mercury, cadmium and those kind of things.
2: Okay.
1: So, you know, it's like they're they're um, feeding them a kind of diet that's going to result in the most accumulation of those uh, pollutant chemicals in the foods that, that are possible. So it's the only diet that could do that. You mm-hmm. understand?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, yes. It's a, it's a diet designed to maximize the accumulation of chemicals in the body.
2: Goodness gracious.
1: That's one of the reasons that in our recipes we encourage the use of grains in some of the recipes because you can buy organic grains. Uh uh-huh. Okay. And you, it's very difficult to buy organic meat.
0: It, it's expensive and not as easy to find, that's for sure.
1: Not easy to find, oftentimes not fresh, uh, uh, and as you say, it's very expensive. In fact, a lot of people can't even afford to make food at home for their animals if they have very many of them, because they mm-hmm. say you can't afford it.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's a real it's a real problem in that people are uh, inadvertently causing the buildup of toxins in their animal's tissues, yeah. and then if the animals get sick, they go to the veterinarian, and the veteran has no idea what these things will well first of all isn't even thinking that way i did a right, survey right, of right. Uh, there's a hun- almost 200 veterinarians on a forum that i have uh, veterinary mm-hmm. you know for veterinarians to study with me in homeopathy yeah. yep i put that question out i said what if you know an animal came into you say that was poisoned by lead would yeah. you recognize it
2: yeah
1: almost everybody said no wouldn't yeah. even be thinking of it mm. So here are all these pollutants that are building up in the tissues. We don't know what they do. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And your veterinarian is not going to be thinking of that at all as a factor.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we don't even know what we're dealing with. No. We don't even know what the diseases look like that they they cause. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So the only, to me, the only real logical thing to do, uh, unfortunately, in the world we live in, is try to minimize the accumulation of these pollutants. And one of the things to do is to try to feed uh, adequate protein, but not any more than you have to.
2: Okay.
1: And that's why we've, uh, you know, used uh, as I say the, the recipes we've come up with include grain in them to do that. Okay. And also we use a bone meal or some other calcium supplement. And the bone meals that are available are ones that come from outside this country.
2: Okay.
1: You, if you, if you take a bone meal that's made from uh, some livestock. Mm -hmm. from the U.S., it Mm -hmm. can't be used for human consumption because of contamination.
2: Good Lord. Mm.
1: When you go to a health food store and you buy bone meal, if you were for yourself, you wanted to buy it, you know, you decided Mm -hmm. you needed calcium or whatever, some people take bone meal supplement. If you were to go buy it for yourself, it's not going to come from U.S. animals. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to come from places outside the U.S., you know, from Africa and other countries where they just didn't have the problem of contamination we do. And yet, here are people feeding all these bones and yeah. and non-organic meat to their animals. You see right. the problem? I do.
2: I do. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah and it's
1: unfortunate, uh, isn't it? Oh,
0: it's it's horrifying. It's
2: not, an, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's even more. You know that we should have to deal with this. I mean, how how in the world do we get our environment so polluted like this?
2: Yeah.
1: That we have to. That we as consumers have to think about what foods we buy. I mean, that's that's outrageous, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, that's a whole other topic.
1: It is.
2: Oh boy. Oh man. So anyway, oh, what I you. what that's I recommended my
1: client what mm-hmm. I what I what I told my clients to do was to feed okay. um, the highest quality foods they could find mm-hmm. as, as much as they could to get organic foods,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then to minimize the amount of meat that they were feeding you know, to the animals, give enough okay. to, to buy their needs, but certainly not give an excess, more than they require for their lifestyle, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's no advantage to it
2: okay. for the
1: reasons we just discussed.
2: Okay. Got it. hmm Thank
1: you. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Another boy. burden to consider, huh? Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's have a happy story now. Do you know any happy stories? <laughs>
1: Well, I certainly see a lot of a lot of animals that are their health is improving as people okay. you know use these methods we're talking well, we right. didn't talk too much about the methods but if they if they stop suppressing symptoms and they do things to encourage health with proper nutrition mm-hmm. and and treatments that are not um, going to prevent them from getting well, then you know the the happy part of it is that there's tremendous potential there I don't think people realize. How easy it is, in a way, for their animals to get healthy again.
0: Well, that's you know, encouraging. That's, yeah, it is.
1: Yeah, you okay. know, it's like um, we we get a we get a sense of uh, hopelessness or incurability to, exactly. about them, but that's only because of the system of medicine that we're applying to it. You know, if you turn to yeah. some other methods that are more supportive, they can recover. They can get well. It's it's oh. uh, it, you know it's really much more hopeful than people think it is.
0: Well, that you know, that makes sense. The the allopathic medicine and, you know, feeding the commercial foods that we were taught not to question, that you know, just Mm -hmm. to buy it and feed it, um, it 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 is it brings us to a hopeless place because, you know, what is what was it that Einstein said? You do uh, the definition of crazy is to do more of the same and expect a different result. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so we're doing the
0: same <laughs> paraphrase of course but um but so we we do get hopeless we do more of the same hoping for a different result and yeah. there's no different result it, it just keeps going that same direction so if we shift horses right if we get in a different boat um and commit ourselves to good nutrition and to look at using things like um homeopathy um some of the other healing therapies you know, as you discussed, mm-hmm. um then we actually do like you said, it is easy to get well again. Mm-hmm. that is very hopeful
1: it is and and uh, I think that what the you know the on a larger scale, what we need to do as the consumers of the mm-hmm. of, of medical systems is we have to ask for that you know if people yes. that are listening to this would go to the veterinarian and say. Uh, we've already done this treatment that you're wanting to do again,
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: hasn't worked. Uh, yes. what other alternatives can you offer me? Oh, Just that yeah. question alone, wouldn't yeah. you think make a difference? Because then they start to think, my, the veterinarian will think, you know, my, my clients want something I'm not providing.
0: Yes, that's
2: correct.
1: Because what I, I hear the other side of it, you know, as, as a person that is training veterinarians, Um, to do this work because I have this course for veterinarians at training in homeopathy. Mm -hmm. And I hear the, you know, when we talk about it, I'll say, you know, like, for example, in a a meeting we might say, well, how is your practice going? You know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about your experience and so on. Very often I hear them say, my clients aren't interested in this. Hmm. They don't want that. They want a quick fix.
0: Band-aid.
1: And so they they find themselves not being able to really grow and develop these other methods of treatment because the clients they have are not supportive of them. Mm. They want, if they don't give them, they don't give the clients what they want. They go to another veterinarian and get the steroid or whatever.
0: Right. Just give me a pill to make it go away.
1: Exactly. So So it really comes down to, you know, really it isn't just. Uh It just isn't the responsibility of the veterinary profession.
0: No, that's true. It's
1: really also the public sector that has to be realized that they have to be willing to consider and ask for something different than what they're getting.
0: Thank you. So it's the Fur Kids parent who's responsible for asking for something different that supports our vets in getting, you know, in looking to expand their practice, to learn more, to offer different mm-hmm. alternative um mm-hmm. support more supportive um methods other than the quick fix um you know that poison pill
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> and that, that, and
1: then at, at the same time you know to um to communicate that there is interest there and support i mean it's right. like for example um another thing is um they'll say, oh, it's too expensive, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to work with that veterinarian because they charge too much. Mm. But what they don't realize is that the, that the conventional treatment is often, there are many charges that accumulate in the background.
2: Oh, my God, And they God, end up spending yeah.
1: just as much or more, you know. So it's yeah. like they have, they have to be willing to open their eyes to this and say, "Yeah, you know, and realize that if their animal gets well, the costs diminish, yes. of course.
0: Yes, exactly. You know, the other the other way of suppressing uh, disease, right, creates mm-hmm. all these other problems, which ensures mm-hmm. that you're going to be going back to the vet a lot, and That's more right. so the longer your animal lives, however the mm-hmm. long that is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we
0: have to have a longer-term viewpoint.
1: Yes. yes. And, you know, as a culture, we need to, because now we're going through all these questions in a larger sphere, you know, about health reform and... and and what the insurance companies will cover and Medicare and so on. And and still, it's pretty much aligned with the allopathic system and not offering very many alternatives. Like if you have health insurance and you want to go, you've already, just what we've talked about, you don't say, well, I've already been through those treatments and it didn't solve my problem. I want to find, I'd like to go to somebody that offers me an alternative.
2: Mm -hmm. It,
1: It may not be paid for by your company. Right. 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 So we have to we have to say to the you know I think we have to do things such as call up the insurance company and say if you don't cover these things I'm going to switch companies.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Those kind of things we have to in other words it's the marketplace that drives it. Yeah. Right. That's good. That's say good. to your veterinarian if you're not going to offer you know homeopathy Chinese medicine chiropractic whatever it is
2: mm-hmm.
1: if you're not going to offer that to me I'm going to go to somebody else. Yeah. That's the only. That's really has impact. <laughs> I, I guess it would, yeah. <laughs> it really does, yeah. <laughs> I like
0: that. I like that approach. Put them on the spot. Let's encourage our our wonderful veterinarians. You know who I know got into practice because they wanted to help animals heal and mm-hmm. be well. And then what are they, they? They're stuck in practices where they're watching animals get more and more and more sick. You yes. know just like you did, Um, and so many of them don't know that there are other options or alternatives. So maybe Mm -hmm. we, um, animal parents, um, can help encourage them to go in this direction, and wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Yes,
1: exactly.
0: Okay. So what would you like our listeners to do next? So how can we get started doing that? I mean, so if we go to our vet and say, you know, oh, I just don't have time or I'm not interested in that, and then so is it the, I think your website you have a referral list of veterinarians. Yeah,
1: yeah. Can tell a, us about that. Well, this uh, I started this course in uh, 1992 for veterinarians. Um, okay that it's a year-long course in training in homeopathy. Cause that's what, I speak about homeopathy because, of course, that's what I know and that's what I do. So right,
2: right. Uh, there
1: are other systems out there, of course, we've touched on briefly. But I, I'll say, for as far as homeopathy is concerned, that I have had this course. And so uh, every year I have a group of veterinarians who have gone through the training program. I have, at this point, close to 500, as you mentioned cool. in the introduction. Yeah. Uh, out of that 500... I don't know how many there are there are maybe 150 or so I'm guessing there are on my website that I want to be listed um as a referral in other words that they're interested in having people contact them for homeopathic care. Okay. Not all of them want to for whatever reason some of them mm-hmm. some veterinarians uh, are busy enough or they mm-hmm. just don't yeah. want to deal with anybody that's from a distance because you know they find uh-huh, it awkward. Right. Right. But anyway right. the the uh, website only has that limited number, it doesn't have everybody, but it has okay. a pretty good list okay. organized by state
2: okay. and, and
1: also can, Canadian province oh, of veterinarians that are willing to work with you um as uh you know, for homeopathic care. So certainly okay. that's a wonderful resource. Perfect. Um there there also is on the on my website there is a um on the first page, I think it's maybe maybe it's on the other pages. On the first page there on the right side, if I remember right, there's a, a picture there of a veterinarian looking at a tiger through a cage.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: And you can go on that link to, there's a group of we I set up a, a forum where people could go ask questions of these homeopathic veterinarians. And oh, if really? you wish to, you can become a client of theirs.
2: Oh, cool. And
1: yeah. So there, again, it's a group of about six of them that are willing to do that. Okay. And they will help you even if they can't even if you're not able to come in because you live you know in a local area. Okay. They can still consult with you and help you. Oh
2: that's uh, awesome. when there are problems.
1: Okay. Consult with your animals. So
2: okay. those are
1: really good resources, both of those.
0: Perfect. Perfect. And mm-hmm. everybody again your website is drpitcairn.com, dot com. D R P I T C A I R N dot C O M. And I know that uh there's also a description of your book, a link for purchasing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, that's also on Amazon and everywhere else.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for that. Um, sure. And then I think you have some other resources there. Do you have articles?
1: Uh, there was... Yeah, I've I've um, I, I've only put two up right now. Um, okay. They're, they're both about vaccines. If people are oh, interested, okay. there are yeah. talks I gave in 1993 on the vaccination question. There's two of them. One of them is about understanding the problems with vaccines, what kind okay. of illnesses have occurred, Okay. And the other one is about the alternative uh, as far as homeopathic use instead. Oh, so perfect. So they might be in it. You can download them or you can view them there. Okay. I have other talks I've given that um, I'll put up someday, but that's all I have right now.
2: Perfect. I love that. And there's that.
1: also, uh, there, going back to the books, there's also some other books I've put up that are books okay. about homeopathy, so on that people might be interested in and in, um, wanting to read, you know, so they can okay. links to Amazon.
0: Yes, um, that's really important, and by the way, for your program, is that only for licensed veterinarians or any it's for can...
1: veterinarians and and also okay. uh, we have a couple of positions for uh veterinary technicians that are working with vets
2: oh. oh okay, be
1: trained as homeopathic assistants okay um, okay, but primarily, yes, it's for veterin it's a veterinary program it's okay. it's accredited by the academy of veterinary homeopathy Cool. and they can go through the program and then they can go through an accreditation process so Uh, It's really organized for that. I I sometimes put on webinars for the general public, but I would put that on my website if there was one scheduled. Okay. Yes.
0: Uh, So uh, do you have a uh, newsletter or anything else that we can get on so we get the announcement?
1: I don't have a newsletter at this time, Okay, so
0: we'll just have to keep our eye out and um, hopefully, uh, tell you what, next time you want to do that, let me know and I'll help Mm -hmm. to get the word out. And I okay. would love to do that course myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you so much. All sure. right, is there is there anything you'd like to leave us with, or um, that we haven't um, mentioned yet that you feel is important?
1: Oh gosh, there's so many sure, topics. There's, right there's there. a, uh, <laughs> I just opened the
0: door on that one, didn't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How much more time do we have?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, well, we may tell you what we may have to come back and do some more of that another time.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think so, well, so, yeah. um, we've covered a lot of ground, and I think that yeah, the main effort. thing that I hoped—I hope to communicate. I hope it was clear enough to people yes. to understand when they um, are looking for an a different approach to treatment, to understand that it really is different, and it's not just different in method, you know, like um, putting a needle in or giving a, a different kind of pill, but it's really different philosophically. Yes. You know, that that's, I think, the part that's often missed, that it really is a different approach entirely. And it it isn't appropriate to try to do everything at once. You know, that's what I find. That's the saddest thing to me, is if somebody has an animal that's seriously ill with something, you know, Mm -hmm. say, um, oh, a cancerous tumor or some other serious, what seems to be a really serious problem. And they become frightened. They're not of fear. They try to do everything they possibly can, every possible therapy, all of which more or less cancels itself out. Mm. Those are the cases, those are the situations where I Mm. see very little progress. Yeah. So they have to really conquer their fear. They have to be willing to say, you know, act intelligently and say, I'm going to, this is the approach I'm going to use and I'm going to commit myself to it and not out of fear try to do everything, pull everything in, Mm -hmm. which just counteracts each other. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Well, and I'm glad you said that. Yeah. You know, I I think that is one of our underlying issues is that we get afraid. You know, we have a serious issue. We don't mm-hmm. know what to do, so we throw everything but the kitchen sink at it, you know, yeah. and hope it goes away. And like you just said, it all cancels each other out. The body can't deal with all of that. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, and plus, <clears throat> we are now all unstable and weak because we're all scared to death.
1: You know, That's so. it. Yeah. but
0: that doesn't help anything
1: either. It's a challenge. see that's the part that's the part that um is more the responsibility of the person bringing the animal to the veterinarian. Yes. Isn't it? It's yes. like it's it's cuz everybody when their animal's sick, you know, to some degree they are afraid. Yes. Understandably. But yes. fear never serves in any way whatsoever. No. It never does any good, it no. never helps us to make decisions. It never helps us to come up with a solution. Right. All it does is make us do things that are mistakes and, and yeah. act inappropriately.
2: Yeah.
1: So that's the responsibility, you know, part of the responsibility that one has to, uh, ideally, you know, one has to acknowledge and face is, yes, it's possible the animal may not recover. Yes, it's possible it may yeah. die. Yeah. But I can't let fear drive me.
2: Right.
1: That's right. the mistake, you know. Right. And so... It's a hard one, but it's also, you know, it's a great lesson, isn't it? It's one of the lessons that we can get from that relationship. Yes. Is learn uh, not I, to be afraid.
0: Right. Um, a lot of vets refer to me, um, of, and of course, I get my clients from all over the world. But um, this is one of the reasons is because when the the animal's parent, you know, the the caretaker, is in great distress, you know, they're they're not balanced, they're not in their right mind, you know, they're really struggling with these issues, uh, then that's mm-hmm. where my work comes in so beautifully because it really helps mm-hmm. them calm themselves, reconnect with their animal, and get mm-hmm. back in touch with what's most important, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go from there. And at that point mm-hmm. in that in that space, then we have a better chance of healing. Uh, yes. And not just the animal healing, but the person also.
1: Yes, that's right. yeah.
0: yeah. Dr. Pitt-Karen, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us your time today.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome.
0: Yeah, and thanks Hope for all you're use. doing. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, oh, my head is spinning. I've got a lot to think about, and um really looking forward to what's next. So, oh, thank you.
2: <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs>
0: all right. So, um, I think that's it. Um, okay. Uh, we will, I guess, talk to you later. I'd love to continue the conversation as we can. So we'll look forward to that.
1: Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to ValHeart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better behaved, healthier, and happier animals. Just go to my website at ValHeart.com to apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course and check out the world's first complete Animal Communication Made Easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life.